Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Now, as I get into the Word, I told you to go to Luke chapter 1, didn't I? I just want to say there was a few people that expressed some concern last week. Um, if you weren't here, you can go and watch it online and see how it all unfolded. Um, but just so we have some conversations with uh, Shirley, um, and we'll be helping her to watch a cricket match in the very near future. <laughs> that was not our concern. Shirley did a great job. No, listen, a few people were concerned. If, um, I don't even know how to explain it. There was a lot of silence in the sermon last week. There'll be less silence this week. So those of you that don't like silence, you can all breathe a sigh of relief. And I'll talk more and you might change your mind. Um, <laughs> uh, but there was a lot of silence and uh, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of discomfort for a lot of people, uh, those in the uh, house and those watching online and had some people that were just like, wow, I just really took the time to just soak in the presence of the Lord and other people were thinking, what, 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 what's, what's going on? Like, why isn't he talking? Isn't he meant to talk? Like, what do we, what do, we do here? Um, and they're all excellent questions. Um, some people wondered if there was like hidden sin that I haven't dealt with. Um, I don't think so. Um, yeah, like, I'm, I'm okay. I was okay. Some people are like, are, are you okay? Some people were praying and interceding for me. Some people just went straight into fasting mode and just like, help him, Jesus. And I was praying that, help me, Jesus. And like, in, I am a follower of Jesus, but I'm no expert. Um, so I will take risks, I'll step out in faith, um, and to be honest, I felt like any time I went to talk, just, you know, some um, transparency and vulnerability here, any time I went to talk last week, I felt like it would be a distraction from what Jesus was doing. What was Jesus doing? Being Jesus. Um, and I realised, you know, talk to some, to some wise people that uh, I know and love and trust, um, including my senior pastor and my wife, and received some feedback and, you know, how we could do it differently and how it might be helpful for people to lead people through that process. So the next time I'm not talking, I'll do it better, okay? <laughs> some of you are like, have we got to Luke yet? Are we reading the Bible? What's happening here? Luke chapter 1, we're talking about is, was and is Jesus real? Um, and oh, sorry, just on that. If if you want to talk about what happened last night, I'm happy to talk about it. And some of you sent me messages. That's that's fine. But um, my number one goal in life is to seek Jesus and follow Him in every aspect of my life. Now I'm going to mess up in that, but that is my goal. So if you think I'm not following Jesus, feel free to come and have the conversation. Or we we live in community. Luke. Chapter 1, I believe these will be up on the screen. Many have undertaken to draw up an account, writes Luke, a doctor, of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So here we have Dr. Luke, a learned man, well-educated, 
likely to be a Gentile who has learnt of the ways of following Jesus, who has gone about doing a lot of investigation into the life and times of Jesus the Messiah and now is writing to his friend, the most excellent Theophilus, to say, listen, Theo, here's some things that you've heard about and I want to give you a bit more of the backstory to what's happened. Now, if you don't know, Luke takes 24 chapters to cover the life and times of Jesus Christ um, and then leaves it for a bit and then goes again in the, what we have as the book of Acts. A lot of people consider um, Luke and Acts to be the one message of the gospel for the life and times of Jesus and the early church. Um, and for some reason, they're separate. Well, they're separated because uh, John deals with the life of Jesus and not necessarily um, the birth of the early church. So Luke writes, does a whole lot of checking and investigation, collects a lot of testimonies from the people that were there, and then writes, and writes it all down to share with his friend Theophilus, and we now have the privilege um, of having that in our Bibles today as one of the Gospels along with Matthew, Mark, and John. So when we have an excellent witness who was close to the scene um, in Luke who talked to those who closely followed Jesus. Luke 24, verse 44 said, says, uh, He, Jesus, said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me, Jesus, in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. You can't understand scriptures unless Jesus opens your mind to them. Because people can read the Bible. There's people that don't follow Jesus that can read this. And some of them are really smart and know it better than we do. But they're just reading it like a book. Until I actually come and say, Jesus, will you show me the truth of your word? I won't actually have the full revelation of who Jesus is and what he's like through his word and testimony. Uh, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And this, we're living in the fulfillment of that word here and now. You are witnesses of these things, Jesus said to his followers. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So remember again, this is still Luke, who's done all the checking, all the fact-checking, like an excellent reporter. He's got all the details down. He's checked with the witnesses that were there, and he's recording what Jesus did and said. When he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So here from the start of Luke right through to chapter 24, we have um, the, the beginning of Jesus' life. And if you read through Luke, you'll see um, how Jesus came to be about and the other things that were happening at that time. And Luke is very good at giving um, broader, wider historical and community information. So it's not just, he's not just like narrowing down the life of Jesus, but he actually gives some wider background in terms of who's in political power at that time, um, what cities are visited and so on. So as we'll see later, fact-checking can take place and historians and archaeologists through the ages have lined up Luke's testimony of the life and times of Jesus and matched it up 
with the locations as they've been discovered um, throughout history. Um, Acts chapter, there's a bit of scripture, but um, it's all good. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In my former book, Theophilus, again, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So you can see all the work that Luke has put into um, uncovering the life and times of Jesus, getting all the facts right, talking to the eyewitnesses. And here is one of the ways that we know Jesus was real. And I'm talking about was and is, I'll cover current tense later on. And how Jesus walked the earth is because we have eyewitness accounts that he did so. Eyewitness accounts that he did so. The New Testament, and uh, Lockie did an excellent job of covering some of this a few weeks ago in terms of how do we know that the Bible is true. And I just want to recap some of that because it actually helps reinforce how we know that Jesus walked the earth. Okay, we live and walk by faith, but at the moment just dealing with how we know the facts that Jesus walked the earth. Um, the New Testament is humanity's most reliable document. The, the New Testament is humanity's most reliable document. How do we know that? Right, let's make some comparisons, which might be helpful. Olivia, do you want to put that table up, please, love? Thank you. So you might not have uh, heard or read all of these. Um, well done to you if you have, because uh, they're pretty deep writings. So you'll see uh, Plato's The Republic was written around 380, 380 years before the time of Christ. All right? And the earliest copy we have of Plato's work, which nobody disputes, everybody says it's Plato's work, all him, we have from 900 AD. So it's about a 1,400-year gap. The number of copies we have, seven. We have seven copies of Plato's work. Uh, Caesar's Gallic Wars from around 44 before the time of Christ, so in the last century before Jesus walked the earth. The earliest copy we have of that is from 900 AD, nearly a thousand years later. We have 10 copies of Caesar's work. Nobody disputes that Caesar's work. He was writing about a war and how well he did and how well the war went and he loved it. Um, Homer's Iliad, probably a little more known than the other two, but uh, still heavy reading, uh, written 800 years before the birth of Christ. So we're going back to pre, like to put it in the context of biblical history, we are back before the exile, all right? So Israel, Judah haven't been exiled from um, their nation to Babylon when Homer's written his Iliad. Uh, the earliest we have is from 400 BC, and we have 643 copies of that. So you're like, all right, yeah, Homer's Iliad, we can get into that, sure. If you want some light Sunday afternoon reading, don't read that. Um, next slide, please, Olivia. The New Testament, written 50 to 100 AD, so 20 to 70 years after Jesus walked the earth. 
Okay, so really soon after Jesus was around, based on eyewitness accounts, the earliest copies we have start from about 114 AD through to 325. 325 AD is the first time we actually have all 27 books as we have them of the New Testament together in one book. All right, so 325 is the first time they get them, all the Gospels, all the letters, all the uh, prophetic visions together. We have 5,366 copies of those manuscripts in different bits and pieces, but altogether more than 5,000 copies. So we can actually prove beyond a shadow of doubt the, 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 the truth and the eyewitness accounts of the scriptures as we have it, of the life and times of Jesus Christ and the start of the early church more than some of the other historical documents that are held to be true. I don't know about you, but I just like, yeah, point proven, fantastic, thank you so much. Um, let me see if I can find this quote. It may, uh, Nelson Gluick, who is a Jewish archaeologist, made this uh, statement. It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. So in all the archaeological work that's taken place over the last 2,000 years, there is nothing that actually says, oh, what is in the Bible did not happen. Actually, the opposite has happened. Archaeology, not all of them, but a lot of them have actually shown what is recorded in the Old and the New Testaments have shown um, the Bible to be true. In the book of Acts that we just read from earlier, Luke names 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands without any error. And all of them have been, all of them, have been identified through archaeology. All right, so Luke is tight on his history. So we know that Luke, along with, we're kind of focusing on Luke as our example of why and how we know Jesus walked the earth. Luke is tight on his history and on his geography um, and everything else that he included in the writing of his Gospels. Okay, you all with me so far? I can tell you're overwhelmed with excitement. All right, now, all right, we've got the Bible, we've covered our archaeology, we know that that's all legit. Now, even better is we have some people that weren't followers of Jesus, some ancient historians, and they were like, Jesus was a real dude. So here's a quite famous one, Josephus, you might have heard of him, our outstanding scholar and historian. Um, he lived, he was born around, just after Jesus walked the earth, um, and then lived till about 100 AD. We learn that Jesus was a wise man who did surprising feats, taught many, won over many followers from among Jews and Greeks, was believed to be the Messiah, because he didn't believe it, but he's putting it that he was believed to be the Messiah, was accused by Jewish leaders and was condemned to be crucified by Pilate and was considered to be resurrected. All right, so this is a guy, I don't love Jesus, but here's the facts that we have. All right, I'm like, okay, thank you. Um, and just in case Josephus isn't enough, and um, if you're planning on having babies, I hope you're writing these names down. Here's another one, Tacitus. Mm-mm-mm. Tacitus. Here, he lived around uh, 55 to 120 after Jesus was around, uh, considered one of the greatest Roman historians ever. Nero inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class called Christians. 
Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius, who Luke refers to in his writings at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. Thank you, Tacitus. So we have two extra biblical witnesses that confirm the life, the death, and the impact of Jesus the Messiah. All right, so we've got all this solid information for the fact that Jesus was real. And that makes me very, very happy. All right, so we know that Jesus was real. Okay, with the historical Jesus, fantastic. How do we know that Jesus is real? And this is where we get into what it means for us to actually be followers of Jesus, for us to be Christians and make a confession of faith, that we believe in our hearts and we declare with our mouths that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Um, I want to show you... um, in a minute, don't put it up yet, thanks Olivia, uh, there's de- been different creeds throughout history. One of the things that we run the danger of, particularly in today's society, is that we can think either as a culture, as a community, um, as a society, that we think uh, because we have so much information available to ourselves, that we know best. And so we can start to come up with different ideas and new ways of doing things and think, well, all of history, um, we know better than all of history, so we can do away with that which is a really dumb idea. And it's really dumb if the church does it because we're not actually just a product of what we have, what we have done as the Horsham Church of Christ. We are a product of all that has happened throughout the church over the last 2,000 years. So one of the goals of every generation of Christians should be to be aware of the foundations that we are building on and to build up further and higher for the next generation. Not necessarily to tear down anything and everything that's gone before us in the name of progress or whatever might be doing the rounds in this current season. And so we actually need to be mindful. I mean, this is why we engage with the word. It's not just we're just engaging with the historical document, but we are open to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit as we read um, his truth in scriptures. But we actually need to be mindful that um, the church is, Jesus has been building his church for the last 2,000 years. It's not just us here and now. And so there is a lot of history that has gone into making us who we are. So some of you would be familiar with the Apostles' Creed. So over the years, this might surprise you, but the church has had a lot of arguments and disagreements. Phenomenal, I know. Um, I'm so glad it doesn't happen anymore. <clears throat> Um, do, uh, hands up if you know the Apostles' Creed. Who's heard of the Apostles' Creed? A few of us, a few of us. Most of the young people are like, what's a creed? What are you talking about? Uh, the Nicene Creed? Probably a few less. There's a few other creeds. So the creeds that we have, and some churches quote them on a regular basis, we tend not to. Um, we might include aspects of them in different things that we sing or pray or say. Um, were put together by various councils of church leaders. The Apostles' Creed was um, three to four hundred years after Jesus. In response to different heresies, different um, ungodly ideas that were going around about who Jesus was, what Jesus was like, and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. So hundreds of bishops for the Apostles' Creed that we're going to look at 
get together and come up with a summary of what they believe and what the church should believe as a summary of faith. It's basically a summary of the Bible in a very, a very short nutshell. So we're going to read this together. Um, Olivia, can you put up? Thank you, darling. All right, let's read this together with gusto. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. That's just good, isn't it? Oh my God, that's nourishing. Just, mm. um, if in case you're worried, it says there the Holy Catholic Church, and some of you be like, I, I thought it came to the Church of Christ. Am I? What's what's happened there? Sorry, uh, Catholic actually just means uh, universal or the one church altogether, rather than a particular denomination or movement as we have them today. So don't freak out seeing Catholic Church. So this is one of the creeds, and the Church said this is everything that we believe in a nutshell. Based on all the information, including Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, based on the letters of Peter, Paul, um, based on visions of John, um, this is what we believe and this is what we hold on to. If somebody comes from outside and wants to disagree with an aspect of that or add on to that, well, we're going to have a serious conversation. But this is what we believe. This is who we know Jesus to be. This is uh, what we know Jesus did. And this is what we're going to hold on to and help the church to know and believe as we grow as the church of Jesus Christ. So you can see all throughout history, the church has been having conversations about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to be the church, what we hold on to as the truth. And we need to be having these conversations and be mindful of it because as we've said time and time again, there's a whole lot of lies that are being thrown into the mix and being presented as the truth. It seems like it's happening more and more these days. But there is the way, the truth, and the life, and that is Jesus Christ. And so it's helpful to not only be engaging in uh, reading our Bible and being, uh, letting Jesus speak to us in spirit, soul, and body as we do read his word, but to be mindful of uh, statements of faith such as these, um, which are quite powerful summaries. Um, if you wanted, you could memorize that. And when somebody says to you, what does it mean to be a Christian? You could just quote that at them. I'm sure that conversation would go really well. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Turn there if you have that there. Yep, turn there. And this is uh, an excellent challenge. Anytime we read something in the Bible, we need to remember it was written um, to a people. So it was written, so the letters of Peter, first and second Peter, written to a particular group, a particular audience. Um, and at the same time, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and written for us. So it's important to remember that as we read through it. So Paul, Peter's writing this letter, and we can still hold on to it as true today. Uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you 
to give the reason for the hope that you you have. Read it again. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And this is part of why we're doing this series. It's not just we want to fill our heads with the information so we can be more knowledgeable, but we actually want to be engaging in conversation with those who don't know Jesus yet. And when some of them have these curly questions about, well, how can I believe the Bible is true? How do I know Jesus is real? We can actually say, well, here's the reason for the hope that I confess. It's not just some airy-fairy idea where I've signed up and got the membership card. There's actually solid grounding to why I believe these things. I love this. But do this with gentleness and respect. It doesn't say be prepared to give an answer to everyone and be an absolute moron about it. It says do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let me hit pause there for a second. I went and saw the uh, wonderful uh, theatrical performance of Laramie Project last night. Who went and saw Laramie? A few of us went and saw it. Starring our very own Simon Risson. You did a great job. You did a better job than that applause, man. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, Wow. Multiple accents, multiple characters. You did good proud of you. Um, Enough of that family moment. (laughs) But one of the bits that I hated, I'm not going to go into like, there's so much in the show. The Christians. So if you don't know about the Laramie Project, it's about um, a young uh, homosexual man who was bashed in the town of Laramie, Wyoming, and a theatre company went and did interviews with residents and people from um, the city following the bashing. Um, And so this play is the story of those interviews. So you're actually hearing um, word-for-word accounts of what people have shared following this bashing and how it impacted them. And there's church leaders that are interviewed. Um, And at one point, I can't remember the particular event that he shows up, um, but the Reverend Fred Niles... Oh, no. What's his name? Uh, Fred Phelps. Thank you. Fred Niles is someone else. Um, Fred Phelps, uh, who's Southern Baptist pastor, shows up. Christians were so ungodly in their response to a people in a town crying out in need of love, grace, mercy and compassion. And that, like, that was one of the things that got me the most. I was like, there was one guy, I think it was the Catholic priest who was like, you know, we're going to stand in solidarity with the family and the people that are hurting. I'm like, all right. I'm with you. And these other people thought like, well, it's not kind of what they said, but almost like, well, the guy had it coming. And um, the Southern Baptist pastor, Fred Phelps, and he comes and he's just spewing hatred and anger at a time when people are grieving and mourning, following a loss. That is not declaring the reason for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. I don't actually need to agree with you to show you love, grace, mercy and compassion. And I actually think it's a greater expression of love, grace, mercy and compassion if I don't agree with you and that we can actually walk that out. 
And the Apostles' Creed that we went through, that's because a couple of hundred of um, learned godly people got together and said, okay, we're having some disagreements, let's work this out together and go, okay, well that bit counts, we've got proof of that, we know that we can stand on that as um, something that did happen in the life of Jesus, but these other things, uh, we're not sure about that and so we're not going to include that. If we cannot be prepared to give an answer to anyone and everyone on the reason for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect, then people will not want to have a relationship with Jesus. People know, people discover whether or not Jesus is real because you and I actually reveal him. I reveal Jesus in the way that I love my wife, in the way that I love my kids, in the way that I love all of you, the way that I love people that don't yet know Jesus. I've said before, like, I want people to meet me but encounter Jesus. Like, Lord, let it be so. Lord, let it be so. Hebrews chapter 6, I'm going to read into verse 7, and I'll finish up with this. Uh, Hebrews 6. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, which is kind of our, the foundation for uh, this apologetic series, that Jesus is the hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Hebrews 6.19, sorry. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf and he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek, who was back in the time of Abraham, so we're going back a couple of thousand years, was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. And he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And that's actually the establishment of the tithe, not the law, but Abraham and Melchizedek. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or of end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And this is one of the aspects that when Jesus shows up and he walks with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that Luke talks about in Luke 24, Jesus is actually going all the way back through to Abraham, through Moses, through David, through all the law and the prophets, saying all of that points to me. Not only do we know that Jesus is real because of the historical testimonies that we have established over hundreds and thousands of years, we know that he is real because we can encounter him as he speaks to our mind as we engage in his word. As we share life with one another, as we declare our hope in Jesus Christ as a community of believers, as we confess our faith, 
as we step out in faith and share the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ with other people, whether we think they deserve it or not. And through that, we actually get to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is one of the most mind-blowing aspects that, for me, this is one of the most mind-blowing aspects of being a follower of Jesus Christ in my regard, is that the one who reconciled us to the Father now gives us the awesome privilege and responsibility to be ministers of reconciliation. That's astounding. I'm like, Jesus, you're perfect. You keep doing it. And Jesus is like, no, no. I'm making you perfect through my presence within you. Let's do it together. And this, uh, we preach this message about was Jesus real and is Jesus real, but it all kind of ties together with the other series where we've looked at how we can believe what we read in the Bible to actually go, it's the culmination of so many things and it's the expression of faith of Jesus Christ, his person among us. And the fact that we all gather in his name and not only this church, but all the churches in Horsham, all the churches around this country and around the world, and the fact that like Open Doors shows, that people are dying for being followers of Jesus. People are giving their lives because they say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian. That does something to you. That does something to you. So as we, as we finish up today, I want to, normally I'd have everybody stand, and what I want to do, I want to invite you to stand. I, I've just been mulling over the week about encountering Jesus. And that's one of the reasons that we um, sung the song, O Lord, You're Beautiful, was just to fix our attention and our affection on Jesus the King. And so if, if you want to go deeper, if you want to stir up a hunger and a thirst within you, spirit, soul, and body, to encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then I just want to invite you to stand in this moment and that we would stand together as a community of believers and say, I want more of Jesus. I want to encounter him. And there's no, like if you choose, if that's not you, that's okay. There's no shame. There's no guilt. You don't have to stand. This is just an invitation to say, Jesus, I want more of you. Jesus, I want more of you. So, Jesus, we stand as a part of your church, your holy church, your bride. Thank you, Jesus, that we are sanctified by your blood, that you wash us clean. And I pray for each and every person standing, that we would encounter you, that we would draw close to you, that you would reveal to us the things that we might be holding on to, the things that we might be doing that stand in the way of actually drawing closer to you, knowing you more deeply as our Lord and Saviour. And listen, if you're asking the question right now and you're thinking, how can I know him more than I've given my life to Jesus? How can I know him more? Listen, I've been married for more than 20 years and I'm still getting to know my wife. And that's the person, physical person in front of me who knows me the best and who I know the best. How much more than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Son of God? How much more is there to know about you, wonderful Saviour, mighty Counselor? And I pray in the days, the weeks, and the months ahead, 
that you would visit us, Lord, in our dreams, in our visions, in the day and in the night, as we spend time in your word, as we visit with you in the secret place, that we would see your face, that we would hear your voice speaking clearly to us, and that we would not leave unchanged from encounters with you. Fill us to overflowing, God, that as we go about whatever we do throughout our weeks, that people would talk to us and encounter you. Let us be a company of believers who are burning on fire with holy fire that burns away anything that's not of you. Come, Lord Jesus, have your way. Come, Holy Spirit, fill this place. Just in this moment, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you've been sitting here this whole time and you're like, I haven't actually made the promise, I haven't actually said yes to following Jesus and having him as Lord of my life, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. Don't want to embarrass you, but I don't want to miss this opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I'm not going to go another day without you being Lord and Savior of my life. I say yes to you. No? Okay. All right. All right, let's all stand together. We're going to worship the one true God together. As we do, if you need healing in your body or a miracle in your life, if you want prayer for some particular aspect, um, then there will be uh, people down the front that are more than willing um, to pray with you or just ask someone who you know is a follower of Jesus who's filled with the Holy Spirit to say, I need prayer for this in my life. Um, and let us be a company of believers who are equipped to share the hope that we have with gentleness and respect, respect to a world that is crying out to know the one true God.